I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thanks for listening. On today's show, I'll speak with Roman Stolenwerk, assistant curator for the Wignall Museum of Contemporary Art at Chafee College in Rancho Cucamonga. Their newest exhibit is Seeing the Unseen, Math and Art, which examines the intersection of two disciplines from the perspective of 15 artists. Roman will talk about the art featured and the uniqueness of linking math and art. The Seeing the Unseen Math and Art exhibit is open to the public now through March 9th. Also on the show, I'll speak with Deborah Skako, guest curator for the Ontario Museum of History and Art. Their newest art exhibit is Conduit, inspired by the recently opened Built on Water exhibit. Conduit uncovers how the diversion of water has shaped the way we live through an examination of the tension between urban growth and the natural world. But up first, it's my conversation with Roman Stolenwerk, Assistant Curator for the Wignall Museum of Contemporary Art. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so as an Assistant Curator for the Wignall Museum of Contemporary Art at Chafee College in Ranch Cucamonga, your newest exhibit is Seeing the Unseen, Math and Art. So I want to talk about the uniqueness of this exhibition because I don't always link math and art together. Yeah, that's um, it's funny because, of course, it's sort of a silent, unspoken language to a lot of the arts, is that oftentimes there are math concepts that are a bit more hidden in the work. And the focus of this exhibition is simply focusing on artworks where it's a bit more visible and a bit more upfront and acknowledging that long-standing relationship between the two disciplines. Yeah, like I said, I wouldn't have put the two disciplines together. So let's talk about how it works. Talk to me about the artwork of the 15 artists whose art will be on display and featured. So the art that's going to be on view with Seeing the Unseen is certainly a wide variety in terms of the materials and disciplines. So it's not specific to any particular material or approach. So there's painting that's included, there is printmaking, there's digital-based work, origami, there's fiber-based work. So there's a full variety of um, two-dimensional, three-dimensional work, time-based media. So we were able to use the format of a group exhibition to give a bunch of different examples of people working with math in their own particular way within their studio practices. Yeah, so Roman, I'm wondering if you could spell out a little bit or maybe give me a strong example of how math ties in, maybe with the origami or any of them, just to see, you know, when we think math, are there formulas or what are we doing that's engaging math with the art? And it's going to be different for all of the art pieces, but just give me an example of one or two. Sure. So you mentioned origami, and actually you find when you start looking at art and mathematics that... Many mathematicians who are inclined to working with their hands oftentimes will work with um, origami and crochet. And part of the reason is, although we see the final output with origami, in order to make that work, you're having to do a series of intricate folds in order to create the shape. And being able to connect the final output through that process requires having to determine where the fold lines and creases all fall into place. So that can get extremely complicated depending on the shape. So if it's a very kind of basic entry-level sort of shape, you can engage with it and wrap your brain around it. But when you're talking about a shape such as the unicorn or some of the pots that are on view in the exhibition, the series of folds that have to happen in order to create that shape 
are really quite complex so that the artist working in that material, Robert J. Lang, uses math to be able to determine where the score line should go oh. in order to make that shape ultimately with the folding. Got it. So you have to be able to wrap your brain around arriving at this destination, but there are all these intricate folds that lead there, and that's where math comes into play. Got it. Okay, so that's the origami. Talk to me about some, maybe one of the others that... So the origami, it makes sense to me because they're depending how intricate the piece that he's doing, he or she is doing... Is, as you described, the folds and how many folds and where the folds should be and such. But give me an example of maybe the painting or the printing that you mentioned. So what you'll notice with some of the other materials, so Katie Ann Gilmore is a painter that's in the exhibition, and what her work is looking at is a certain kind of a drooping shape that happens in one of the paintings that's a, a large-scale painting that's in the exhibition. And she renders the paintings by hand, so what you're looking at is these kind of geometric shapes that happen, and part of her practice is how to render these shapes. They look very kind of smooth and seamless. It's almost hard to believe that they are um, paint on panel. But a lot of the work is engaging with shapes and, of course, geometry. And then with some of the artists, it's engaging with less conventional forms of geometry and non-Euclidean space and shapes. So crochet that I mentioned before actually is represented in the exhibition because it's one of the ways that you can create these shapes using physical materials. We can mathematically say that the shapes exist, but crochet is a way of actually creating these shapes that are non-Euclidean. And Euclidean, I have to apologize because my background, of course, in this exhibition working with the other curators is coming from an art background. Sure. Um, my background certainly isn't in the math side of things. Right. Um, but the non-Euclidean shapes are shapes that are not the normal square rectangle sphere that we're used to when we talk about geometry. So it's kind of the undulating shapes that you see in things such as coral. So the Institute for Figuring is one of the groups, and the artists are uh, Christine Wertheim and Margaret Wertheim. And they use crochet to create these these non-Euclidean shapes, and it's called hyperbolic geometry that they're using. Wow. But they use materials to explore these ideal math concepts, but using materials such as videotape, as well as um, more traditional forms of yarn, to crochet these shapes. And they've been doing this, actually, the museum worked with them previously with one of their hyperbolic coral reefs, which they create using crochet to make these shapes. So sometimes these artists are using their practices to demonstrate something that we don't see around us every day or to demonstrate these mathematical concepts, which are a bit idealized. And through their art practices, they're able to make an ideal and turn it into a more tangible reality through their materials. So using videotape and using um, paint, using different materials to actually give a physical form to concepts that we hear about in math. And um, that's why a lot of these artists are coming from backgrounds in mathematics, and some are coming from a more conventional art background and studio art training. But all of them are working with um, math at the forefront of what they're doing. So when I first thought crocheting, and I thought, okay, maybe they're talking about the number of chains, right? 50 chains by 20 chains by 50 chains, depending on their stitch. That's what I was thinking when I first thought, 
you know, math because I couldn't just get my head around it. But thank you so much for for sharing that. Now, the seeing the unseen is a series, right? There were either other exhibitions along the same theme, but it didn't have to do with math. Or are there more being added to this series? This is the second iteration of Seeing the Unseen. So the previous was Seeing the Unseen Science and Art. And that was our exhibition that we had on view in the fall. Um, and images and more information about that are still on our website at chafee.edu slash Wignall. Um, so there are images from that exhibition if people are curious. Um, but this is the second. So it's a year-long series where we're doing two exhibitions, one in the fall and now this one in the spring, which is specifically looking at math and art. Um, but both exhibitions are focusing on um, engaging our STEM communities here at the college. So again, the previous one was science, and this one is more specifically looking at math. Okay. And so did you do a call for artwork, or are any of these on display? Are they any of the students that attend the college, or are they all artists that have been doing this for a while? So where did your artists come from? So Seeing the Unseen is one of our professional exhibitions, or both of the exhibitions are um, professional artists. So the curators work through the curatorial process of um, visiting studios, looking at web pages, announcements for exhibitions, and kind of looking at different artists to see how their um, how their different approaches work together as a group exhibition. Um, so they are all professional artists. And some are more local, um, although we have been able to work with artists um, across the country. And actually, you know, we have artists participating in this exhibition because the work is digital. Um, We have an artist from Australia. So we have an artist from Colombia. So they are professional working artists. It doesn't include student work. Hopefully the students are able to um, engage with the content and it inspires them in their coursework because our next exhibition following this will be our student exhibition. Nice. Um, and we do have student exhibitions at the college, but this is one of our professional exhibitions. Got it. So tell me a little bit about the Wignall Museum of Contemporary Art in general, when it opened and maybe a little bit of its history. Sure. The Wignall Museum of Contemporary Art has been here since 1972. And that is when the building was constructed. There was a movement on campus to build a museum on campus, and it was named after an administrator that was instrumental in making that happen here. And the specific focus of the programming has changed over the years, but um, certainly in the time that I've been here for the past 15 years and with our current director, who's been here longer than that, um, (laughs) our programming has been largely in line with what we're doing now, which is presenting professional exhibitions, as well as a few student exhibitions annually. And we are fortunate that at a community college, we have a standalone museum building. So we have a lovely facility here that's able to facilitate the exhibitions. So really, certainly back in its day when it was first first built, it was uh, quite unique. And we still think that the facility itself and the programs that we're able to present are quite unique for our community college. Very good. So this exhibition is open now through March 9th. And what did you say will be following it after this? The next exhibition on our calendar and our upcoming programs, I should mention we have events that are associated with this exhibition. Um, All of our programming is free and open to the public. So that's all featured on our website, which is the Chafee College website, but chafee.edu slash Wignall. 
Um, but our next exhibition is the Student Invitational, which is a long-running honors student exhibition where a modest handful of artists apply to take a course. And through that honors course, they build a self-directed body of work that they then present in the final exhibition here at the museum. Well, very good. Well, I hope that people get to see the seeing the unseen math and art. The exhibition is open now through March 9th. Roman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. For more information about the Seeing the Unseen Math and Art exhibit at Chafee College, visit us at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. You're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We need to take a quick break, and when we return, I'll speak with Deborah Skako, guest curator for the Ontario Museum of History and Art. We'll talk about their newest art exhibit, Conduit. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We'll be right back. Stay with us. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Life Sales on KVCR. I'm Lillian Vasquez. We're going to stay on the subject of art. My guest now is Deborah Skako, guest curator for the Ontario Museum of History and Art. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so let's remind our listeners about the current exhibit that's there, which is Built on Water, and then we'll dive into Conduit. Sure. So Built on Water is the newest permanent exhibit that focuses on sharing knowledge about the importance of clean, reliable water for the region. The exhibit brings together the story of local water agencies, regional tribes, agriculture, water conservation, and the establishment of the city of Ontario. And I think is really interesting because it really it really sort of goes into the relationship between water and how cities and just just towns and urban places in general evolve. Okay, so that's what built on water. We do know it's a permanent exhibit, but it also inspired this exhibit. So let's talk about Conduit. What is Conduit? Well, yeah, so Conduit, I would say it's both inspired by and a complement to built on water. And Conduit is an exhibition of contemporary art that's looking at the impact version of water in the Inland Empire. Who are some of the artists that will be featured, and what is the work representing in the various mediums that you can describe for our listeners and what they might see if they come to see the exhibit? Well, I first have to say I'm so excited about this group of artists. It's a really diverse range of media, a diverse range of ideas, in really thinking about the various impacts of the diversion of water. So um, it's everybody from Gerald Clark, who is creating a work called One Tract Mind, which is really looking at how water and water rights enable the expansion of this kind of American dream of suburban sprawl. Um, we have Noe Montez, who is creating an installation of new and archival materials focusing on Pyrite Canyon in Herpa Valley, which is one of the first Superfund sites in the United States. Samantha Morales-Johnson, who is a Tonga artist, is showing uh, some drawings that detail a study that she completed on native versus non-native plants. Stuart Pally is an extraordinary photographer who's been documenting California wildfires for over a decade. Lauren Bond and Metabolics Geo have been working in the Sultan Sea and really looking at 
how the, the waters of the Salton Sea can be a kind of form of remediation and ecological speculation in itself. And then Christy Roberts Berkowitz is creating a beautiful drawing installation of native plants. And Lorraine Siskwak um, is sharing her work as a teacher of basket making and native plant uses and material culture and traditions. So it's a really broad expanse of artists all looking at not just the direct impacts of water, but these kind of like feedback loops and tendrils of how the diversion of water really touches every area of our lives. And as you just described several of those artists, there will be some drawings on display. There will obviously be some photography on display. What were some of the others, like when you said Gerald Clark or uh, a couple of the others, what will be on display to represent that artist? So Gerald Clark's work is extraordinary. He is creating a sort of multimedia installation, which is uh, is sort of situated on the floor and is a number of model homes on this tract that oh. he has effectively created. So the idea is kind of you walk around it and it's almost if you imagine an aerial view of trapped housing. And so as you enter the space, I mean, I think another really interesting aspect of this is the fact that we are in the former city hall. So we are in a space of policy. We are in, you know, a space where government happens. And so this relationship between uh, Gerald Clark's work and Gerald uh, is Kuya and lives on the Kuya reservation. And he's really thinking about the relationship between land and ownership and also the the need for the diversion of water to do this. And so I really appreciate his work because it it's it, it kind of takes you through this sort of model maze, right? And then we'll also be showing some photographic works that he's done that are large scale and where you see the sort of tops of houses that uh, where there's also overlaid onto that native patterns normally used in basket making, right? So there's these kind of like, a palimpsest of cultures, ultimately, is, is what he's doing. And Gerald, we're very excited, is also producing um, an off-site work in the Cactus Garden on Euclid. Um, oh, and, nice. And we're very excited. He's producing an incredible work using fabric that is kind of thinking about the movement of water and inspired by um, the traditional skirts that Kuya dancers wear because he, he is a singer, his daughters are dancers. And so like, he's very involved in many aspects of cultural legacy. And so love the idea that he's kind of using the movement of these beautiful skirts and the movement of people to represent the movement of water. I feel like it's really thinking about how we're all connected by this life force. Okay. Let me ask a little bit about Lauren Bond and, the Salton Sea tie-in. Yes. So Lauren Bond and Metabolic Studio have been working with the Salton Sea for many, many years. Um, and I'm glad you asked specifically about her because the work that they are showing is highly unusual in that it's visually speaking, it's a number of fish tanks that are filled with Salton Sea water. Oh. And Lauren has been creating the basis for sculpture that then grows in the water of the Salton Sea. And it's a process referred to as accretion. And um, she has, she and her team have been studying this for some time. And they're actually measuring uh, if these waters, when there is the, the sculpture, which is kind of growing this beautiful surface, this beautiful kind of whitish surface, almost like, a, like it's stronger than a film, but it's almost like a crust. As it grows this process, they 
are finding that there's the possibility for the water to actually be capturing carbon as opposed to releasing it. Uh. So as a part of this, it, it is actually a science experiment and an artwork all at the same time. And I believe they will be measuring how this is absorbing carbon, how and if this is absorbing carbon through the life of the exhibition. So we'll be showing this kind of main piece and then also a couple of works that, um, that have gone into the research of making that. And actually, Lauren and her team will also be doing an off-site piece on Euclid um, that is, again, in reference to her work with the Salton Sea and really thinking of the Salton Sea as a kind of heart and really thinking about the life force of water and how ecological conditions cause this heart to, to expand and contract and beat in this really beautiful way. Okay. So um, that kind of gives a, a visual of what we might see on display. So as a curator, can you tell me what it took to pull all these artists together or what your vision was and how you first approached the whole, the whole idea? Sure. So I am both an artist and a curator, and I really see curating as an extension of a creative practice. So I kind of don't see those two things as anything different. And I share that really because I myself have been making work about water for over a decade. And I've been studying water systems, particularly in California. And so I was very excited to be invited to be a guest on this because it it really enables me to be in touch with artists who I have been following, who I admire, and some artists who I didn't know at all before this, but just through wanting to present a group of works by primarily artists who are based in the Inland Empire and certainly work that is about the Inland Empire as a region. Um, and I think for me, an exhibition, especially when you're talking about a subject like water, is raising questions as opposed to providing answers, right? Mm. And so I was really interested in the way that water literally permeates every aspect of our lives and also the relationship between water and other ecological practices, whether that be industry or farming or the sort of impacts of urbanization. I think, um, you know, ultimately places are generally based around their waterways. And so this felt like an opportunity to to think about some of the impacts that are perhaps less direct than what we may think of. So, of course, the inclusion of fire felt vital because water and fire go together. Right. Of course, we've been in a historic drought. But also, for example, the piece that Noe is making is uh, looking at the Pyrite Canyon Superfund site in Harupa Valley. And that was the result of toxic dumping on a, um, on a quarry, and it's, it, it was thought to be impermeable. And so that's really, you know, that piece is even looking at just like the history of activism and the history of women in activism and, and how, um, you know, often these catastrophic events also lead to the birth, for example, of nonprofit organizations that go on to continue to fight for clean air and clean water. So I really just wanted it to be a sort of a multidisciplinary, very engrossing exhibition, but also one that touches on multiple issues, really just to highlight the breadth of this. I feel like I could continue to work with this subject only for the rest of my career, and I would never be done. Wow. So I think that for me, yeah. I you mean, can hear your passion like, on the whole, on the well, whole subject for sure. 
but it's also kind of the joy. It's like the joy and the horror of this work, right? It's yeah, like the more yeah. you know, the more you, the more you realize how little you know. Mm. Um, and while that's very humbling, it's also really exciting. I, like I just see myself as a lifelong student of this subject. And every time I am lucky enough to curate an exhibition, I get to work with people who also feel like lifelong students. Mm. And that to me is like a great joy. And also I feel a responsibility to share that knowledge, right? Can you share the hours of the museum while this is on display? Sure. Our hours are Thursday and Friday, 12 to 4, Saturday and Sunday, 11 to 5. I also want to highlight that the museum is always free and everyone is welcome. So we really hope that people will engage with the project. Perfect. Conduit is on display February 17th through May 19th at the Ontario Museum of Art and History in downtown Ontario. Thank you so much, Deborah. It's been a joy speaking with you. Thank you for having me. For more information about Conduit and the Ontario Museum of History and Art, visit us at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. Staying on the topic of museums, here's KVCR's Sharina Watt with a list of other museums to discover throughout our region. If you're on a museum tour around the Inland Empire, there are plenty of options from the high desert to wine country. There's the Lincoln Memorial Shrine in Redlands, a civil rights museum and research center exploring the life and legacy of Abraham Lincoln. The San Bernardino County Museum has a slew of things to do throughout the year, including Old West Days on January 21st and 27th. Saddle up and unleash your inner pioneer on a journey into the Wild West. And on select nights throughout the year, the museum hosts Cosmic Nights, where you'll look at constellations in the sky through telescopes. And if you're heading up the Cajon Pass, Victor Valley Museum in Apple Valley offers a cultural and natural science collection that includes Native American artifacts and paleontological specimens, and the hands-on environment, Curious City. The Corona Heritage Park and Museum is dedicated to conserving, preserving, sharing, and celebrating Corona's heritage. On-site buildings include a model railroad museum, antique shops, the arts colony, botanical garden, and more. And the Temecula Valley Museum offers monthly art nights in Old Town Temecula and celebrates a different region or culture on the second Saturday of each month. Next month on February 10th, they'll focus on Vietnam, followed by Australia in March, Saudi Arabia in April, Japan in May, and more until the end of the year. Each cultural event includes food, dance, music, crafts, activities, a scavenger hunt, and art lessons. To learn more about the museums mentioned here, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. For Lifestyles, I'm Sharina Wad. And don't forget, one of the easiest museums you can get to is Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum, which you can watch on KVCR-TV Monday through Friday at 10.30 in the morning. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, check out our archives at kvcrnews.org lifestyles or listen to Lifestyles on the KVCR app. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sharina Wad, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, and executive producer Rick Dulock. 
Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now.